when we produce these products, we are producing these products as unnaturally as one can imagine. I mean, we have so far removed ourselves from what someone may feel is like a natural way of producing eggs, dairy, and meat that the ordinary person would be appalled to see these practices. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Eat Green, Make Green podcast. This is Pat McCauley. My guest this week is the legendary Josh Bach. Josh is the vice president at the Humane Society of the United States. He is also the co-founder of the mega powerhouse brand Just. For those that aren't familiar, Just is the maker of Just Egg, which is a plant-based egg product. Uh, which can be found just about at any grocery store throughout the United States now. And they were also the first ever company to get approval for and sell cultivated meat. So meat made from cells of an animal, but not using an animal. Um, So an absolute powerhouse of a brand. They were recently uh, valued at close to $3 billion. There's been talk about them going public. Um, And the craziest thing, they are now a top five egg producer in the United States. And they're obviously not eggs. They are a plant-based product. Um, So just crazy stuff. Um, So absolute honor uh, to have Josh on. Um, So we talk about how Josh's love for animals has shaped his path over the years. Uh, We talk about his experience going undercover at large slaughterhouses over the years. Um, Why almost none of us Uh, no matter where you stand on these topics, are against animal suffering. Um, The implementation of Proposition 12, which was approved um, in California a couple years ago now, but is supposed to go into effect um, in January, and why there are still big meat companies fighting against it. Uh, Then we get all into just um, how and why uh, he co-founded it, um, how they've grown, um, how they've broken down all these barriers, Um, And then we wrap up with his advice to aspiring entrepreneurs and why anyone has the power to make a difference in the world. Absolutely incredible episode with an incredible human being. um, And I can't recommend following Josh and Just um, enough. And also visit Humane Society as well um, and donate if you can. Um, So without further ado... The one and only Josh Bach. Times have related is your currency. Oh, All right, Josh, a, official welcome to the show and uh, super excited, as I was saying, to have you and glad we, glad we connected. Excited to connect with you when you're in Boston soon as well. And um, yeah, as I was saying, thank you for all the work you've done over the past uh, couple decades and I'm fired up to get get the full story and learn about all, all the work you've been doing. So, so welcome to the show, and and thank you for being here. That's great to be on, Pat. Thanks for having me. Cool, man. So, I would love to before we get into all your work and amazing stuff you're doing, I'd love to understand a little bit uh, about you and kind of how you ended up uh, where you are. Uh, you know, probably like you uh, and so many of your listeners, I cared about animals uh, since I was a kid. You know, I grew up with dogs and the dogs 
you know, weren't pets. They were members of my family. They were very furry. And in the case of the St. Bernard, a very big member of my family. Uh, and I loved them so much. Uh, and it would just hurt my heart to ever think anything bad would ha happen to them. Uh, at the same time, I started to learn about animals outside my home, uh, frankly, via documentary, uh, how animals are raised in food production. And it crushed my soul. I saw for the first time videos of how animals uh, were raised in chicken production inside these giant warehouses stuffed together, genetically manipulated to grow so big, so fast. They're just in a constant state of pain. I saw images of these mother pigs in cages they couldn't turn around. I saw what slaughterhouses looked like and, and the fear that these animals had as they entered and throughout the whole process. Uh, and so I, I did what a... I guess a 17 year old could do at the time, which, I, and this is back in the, the late nineties, I went vegetarian, didn't know much what I was doing. So ate a lot of uh, cheese pizza and, and um, cheese hoagies and things like that. But at least I was taking some steps in the right direction. Uh, and a few years later, I saw how the, uh, the dairy uh, and the egg industry uh, typically traits its animals. So I became uh, vegan in, in 2001. So it's been 20 years, Pat, since I've been vegan and, and, and still going on and, and, and really enjoy the fight each and every day to, to battle for the animals. Mm. Yeah. And at what point did you know you wanted to go work for some, someone like the Humane Society right, right out of the gate? I think you've been there your whole career. I wanted to be a baseball player at first. And, okay. this, and, and I, was, <laughs> I was pretty good a long time ago. And the further away I, I am to when I was good, the better I try to remember that I was. Yeah. Um, but, but I played in college uh, and I certainly had aspirations. I always had the care for animals. At the same time, I was trying to pursue my dreams. But you know, after I hurt my shoulder in college, I tore my rotator cuff, which ended my, my baseball career. I transferred to George Washington University for my final year and a half. And was at George Washington University in D.C., where I interned at the Humane Society of the United States. Uh, I interned in the Government Affairs Department, and, and this is before email was as big as it is now. So I would drop off fact sheets and congressional offices and letters, uh, and I had my one suit that I wore every day, and, uh, and I was doing what I could as, as, a, as a college student trying to, to volunteer and, and intern at the Humane Society of the United States. Uh, shortly after that, I went to a or DC-based organization called Compassion Over Killing. I was there for a few years. I did undercover investigative work, uh, and I worked with restaurants in the DC area to add more plant-based options. Uh, we needed you back then, Pat, to, to help me out because it was challenging, um, but, uh, but I certainly got some to, to add more plant-based options. And then uh, in 2005, went over to the work of the Humane Society of the United States, uh, to battle for the farm animals in, in a larger arena. Yeah, yeah. So if you don't mind, so obviously like you had to that point in your life, you had seen images and videos of kind of what the reality of our food system is. How can you maybe for like, look, the, the reality is like I've seen the videos. Most people have seen the videos. I've been able to, you know, align my values with what I think about that system. Um, but I have never seen the inside of a slaughterhouse. Um, and I know the undercover work that um, people do is just like, 
I mean, it, it's so needed, but it's, it also takes a toll on, on the individual. So can you speak to that and maybe just describe for people like myself that have only seen the videos of it, how, how brutal it is? Your people should watch the videos, even going on YouTube. Just watch, I swear, just watch 30 seconds, one minute even. Just, just if you haven't seen it, I, I think we owe it to ourselves to know how these animals are being raised and killed for food. And most likely you're a good person listening in. Uh, you don't want to see animals suffer in pain. And so knowing that, I think that having the full knowledge of what happens, you're going to feel good about the fact that you're fully armed with what you're going to need to know to reflect your values in your day-to-day -day choices. So I encourage people even just to go on YouTube and just type in factory farm or slaughterhouse and just see even a few seconds of it and you have an idea. What it was like in person is a bit different than watching a video and here's how. Uh, one uh, is the smell. Uh, I remember I was hooked up with a hidden camera. This was at a, a chicken slaughterhouse in Maryland. Uh, I was in the locker room getting changed and, and I was all you know put together with the slaughterhouse gear that you wear uh, inside the plant. And I walked into the room where the, what's called the shackling takes place. And when you walk in, you get hit right in the face with this smell. It's almost like a physical sensation of a wall that hits you. It's so overwhelming of feces, of blood. You just know something bad happens in this room. It's it's terrible feeling. I almost uh, vomited uh, the moment uh, I, I smelled uh, this horrific scent that just permeated the entire room. Uh, once I kind of just tried to suck it up as much as I could and I got in line with the other workers to do the shackling, you know, my heart was beating. You know, I'm an animal person and I was about to do something that I know was going to hurt animals. And so it was the opposite of who I am. At the same time, I knew what I was doing for a greater cause and that was to expose the cruelty that was going on with the footage I was taken. And so I remember just the, the first time my heart beating and then thinking, okay, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And then the, the production system started to move. Uh, the overhead shackles started to churn. The conveyor belt started to move. And it was such a loud sound of machinery that it was completely overwhelming. You could barely hear yourself if you tried to talk out loud. And then I looked to the left and I saw through an opening chickens being dumped from a truck. And then the chickens started to come toward me. And I, my heart kept being faster and faster. Like this was going to happen. I'm about to do this, this horrific thing. Uh, and I saw to my left workers were picking up some chickens and shackling them by their legs. And eventually a chicken got through those workers and was reaching me. And this was going to be the first chicken who I would grab. And, and I looked down at her and I had to grab her. I grabbed her legs. They were all twisted from the genetic manipulation. Uh, her body was massive, just massive animal who could barely move because she was so big. She was hitting me with her wings to try to escape. She was trying to scratch me. She was pecking at me. She didn't want to die. She wanted to live. And I remember looking down at her and I could say out loud because no one could hear me. It was so loud. 
I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I shackled her. And that was a profound moment of my life because up until then, I knew that I wanted to fight for animals, but it was more of philosophy. It was more of kind of like a subjective way of life. Like I'm going to do whatever I can for the animals. But seeing her reminding me that real lives are at stake. There are real life consequences on if we are effective or not. And I will never forget her. And she motivates me almost every day to try to be as effective as I can in my advocacy. So fewer and fewer of her fellow chickens and other animals have to suffer her same fate. Mm. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, um, I saw a video recently, and I think for, for me too, um, but for most people, um, it is the, the scale and the industrialized aspect of it. Like I saw this, this drone footage recently um, at a, at a uh, dairy plant, and it was just, you know, cows, you know, baby cows in these, these tiny enclosures, you know, could barely move in there. And then, you know, the drone slowly zooms out and it's as far as the eye can see these cages. And that, that I just don't, I just don't think people have a real connection to the scale of it and how crazy it all is that we kill by the billions annually. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, it's, it's incredibly, it's hard to fathom even if you know it's going on. It is. It really is. And, you know, we, we've come to a point of raising animals as if they're machines, mm-hmm. you know, as, as, as if they are inanimate objects uh, that produce other inanimate objects like, you know, eggs and meat and dairy. Uh, and, you know, when industrial animal agriculture views animals as if they are unfeeling beings, you can see how they're treated so poorly. Because you know what, if you felt like a chicken can't feel pain, or you couldn't care less if they do, of course, you'll stick eight of them in a cage so small they can spread their wings in egg production. If you think a mother pig, you know, is is this has the same type of uh, moral concerns as a chair, then it's no problem to stick her in a cage so small she can't even turn around her entire life. Uh, And so when we produce these products, we are producing these products as unnaturally as one can imagine. I mean, we have so far removed ourselves from what someone may feel is like a natural way of producing eggs, dairy, and meat that the ordinary person would be appalled to see these practices. And Pat, you don't have to believe me. You can believe these industries because they don't want people to know what's going on. They even try to pass laws called ag-gag laws that make it a crime to be a whistleblower in an operation to allow people to know what's going on in there. Oh, they want to make it a crime, and they have in some cases, for an undercover investigator to expose cruelty. In fact, these laws that, that these industries put together ensure that if you expose the cruelty, you are in worse legal shape than those who are abusing the animals to begin with. How messed up is that? Yeah, imagine, imagine that you cannot legally see where your food comes from. Exactly. That's You're, insane. That, 
Exactly, exactly right. Imagine, imagine if someone has a chicken sandwich in front of them. Uh, and by the way, Pat, I grew up eating meat uh, and, and yeah, I was raised by a single dad. I. There you go. You know, my, my, I was, grew, I was raised by a single dad and I have a brother and, and we were all eating the meat together. And, and I, you know, my, my brother still does. My dad now at 80 years old became vegan. So that says, that says something. Um, but my brother still eats me. I love him very, very much. He's a good person. Uh, and so there, there's no judgment out there. I would say that for no matter what someone's diet is, let's say a chicken sandwich is put in front of them and said, listen, just, just so you know, if you want to know where the chicken sandwich came from, at least the chicken part of the sandwich, you would not be allowed. In fact, if you tried to find out in, in some states because of the chicken meat industry, you would be arrested for trying to find out where your chicken came from, right? This is the same product you were going to ingest. Mm. How many times in life do we want to actually put something in our bodies that if we want to know where they came from, we'd be arrested? Mm. I mean, that just shows how perverse this system is are producing these products. And so when we're looking at shifting our diet to eat more plant-based foods, doing things like meatless Monday or vegan before six, or, hey, listen, I'm going to move away from eating chicken. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll still eat some other things during this interim steps that I'm taking. As long as we're taking these steps, we are removing ourselves from systems. I promise don't represent any of us. They truly don't. They truly don't. And each and every meal we can actually eat in a way that represents who we are. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, there's, there's not many people on the earth that disagree that what takes place is wrong. But it's a whole nother, uh, it's, a, it's a whole nother thing to get that same person that disagrees with it to actually change their daily habits, you know? It's, and it's hard. I yeah. mean, it's hard. I mean, I know what you're working on. You're making, you know, pubs you know for the everyday person to come on in mm -hmm. and enjoy some absolutely phenomenally delicious plant-based meals and one of the reasons why i know you're doing this is because you want to make it easier for folks to be able to eat in a way that does reflect your values because hey i don't forget what it was like back in the day when i was eating meat trying to transition away you know some, sometimes it's hard to break habits and that's normal and let's just just accept it it's true mm -hmm. and so the good news, however, is that it's easier now than it ever was to start making the shift. You know, now even fast food chains have veggie burgers. Now even mainstream grocery stores, whether it's Walmart or Safeway or Kroger, have plant-based meats, even in the meat section. You can get products that taste just like the chicken, the burger, the sausage that we grew up eating, only they come from plants, not animals. Uh, and the fact that you know, these products are easier to buy now than ever, I think is the major reason why they're so popular, that people are starting to give things a try that actually ensure that they are supporting practices that they actually believe in. And they're eating in a way that allows them to feel good about themselves. Because you, I think you said it right. I doubt there are a few people here who eat meat that if they saw the footage, they would say, I stand by that. There are few people, including myself when I eat meat, mm. including my brother who currently still does. Um, I think there are a few people out there that would see the pollution 
that goes into the air, water, and soil from these industrial operations say, you know what, I want to support that with my dollars. You know, there are a few people out there who want to eat in a way that will cut down years of their life. And that, you know, when they you know, have a family, uh, they're less likely to see their kids grow up. And they're more likely uh, for them to, you know, cut their years, not just in terms of lifespan, but also quality of life. Few people want that to happen. However, because eating meat has been so ingrained, it's sometimes challenging just to make those changes. But I think what we all can do is take steps in, in a direction that I think we all agree is better. And then from there, we can just take even more and more steps and, and we can feel really good about ourselves. I know we all can do it. I know we, all, we just got to get started. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I love it. So tell me, tell me what over the past few decades, I know you were explaining a little bit before, about the, the different avenues that you guys at the Humane Society kind of take to address the, the problem we're talking about. Um, can you talk about some of the issues you've been, you've been tackling and how you guys go about it? We want to abolish the worst practices in factory farming. Uh, and that includes the confinement of egg laying chickens in small cages, just about the size of your home microwave. You know, you're having so many chickens in there, uh, they have to eat, sleep, lay eggs, defecate in the same spot every single day of their whole life. I mean, what kind of life is that? Uh, so that's a core area we want to abolish. Uh, the other major area of focus is to end the confinement of mother pigs in what are called gestation crates. And these are the cages where they can't turn around their whole life. Uh, you know, imagine a cage that's barely larger than the pig's body. They basically are forced to live in their own coffin. And that's for four years. Scientists have found that Pigs are smarter than dogs. You know, these are, are social animals who want to spend time with other pigs. They want to run around and you know, fill dirt under their hooves. They want to have the sun on their back. You know, they want to be able to lie down. I mean, these are basic behavioral needs that instead the pork industry confines them in a cage that they can't even move. And so we want to abolish those practices. So here's how we do it. Uh, one way is to, is to wage legislative campaigns to criminalize the practice. So what we have done is to pass laws in numerous states to ban them, including waging and winning a ballot measure called Proposition 12 in California. Uh, Proposition 12 uh, is now the strongest law in the world for farm animals. It was a 2018 campaign. It was about a year-long campaign. It was humane to the United States and our allies against a big animal agribusiness. Uh, and we won. On election day, we got nearly two-thirds of the vote. And now the state of California not only has banned those confinement practices, including, by the way, the confinement of baby veal calves in small crates that can't even move. So it bans egg-laying hens, mother pigs, and baby veal calves from being confined in cages. It also bans the sale of eggs, pork, and veal from caged animals. And so uh, it became the strongest law in the world. Shortly after that, we passed similar laws for egg-laying chickens in Oregon, Washington, Michigan, Colorado, Utah, Nevada. Uh, and so we're on a roll banning these practices. And, and I can tell you this, the pork industry isn't so happy. Uh, they have filed three different lawsuits to try to overturn Prop 12. So far, they've lost every one. And they've tried to appeal even to the Supreme Court, which rejected uh, their lawsuit uh, to try to overturn Prop 12. Uh, they have 
gotten uh, some Iowa senators to introduce federal legislation to overturn Proposition 12. Uh, as we're speaking here, they're waging a PR campaign to complain about the cost of baking going up. Because, by the way, why is it? Because the law ensures that mother pigs are able to turn around. So the, the pork industry is claiming an economic apocalypse because this extreme law that does what? Allows pigs to turn around. That's how messed up this industry is. So that's how the, the pork industry is fighting back. Uh, but we're making a big difference. Uh, beyond passing these laws, we also wage uh, corporate campaigns to get the largest food companies to stop selling uh, uh, eggs and meat from confined animals. As one example of, of hundreds, uh, we got McDonald's to announce that it will stop using and selling eggs from caged chickens and switching wow. to 100% cage-free eggs. They sell about 2 billion eggs a year. Talk about impact. And so because of this work that we've been doing, we have gotten more than, actually roughly, 100 million egg-laying chickens out of cages annually who otherwise would be caged in the egg industry. We've gotten nearly a third of the mother pigs in the pork industry out of these gestation crates. So we're having a tangible impact. I think it's the greatest reduction of suffering in U.S. history of animals. Uh, we have a long way to go, but we're moving in a really good direction. Yeah, that, that's amazing, and, and congratulations. Um, yeah, the, the, the cage-free, to just touch on that, I mean, we, the, the end result of that right now, as you said, a long way to go. It's still just chickens on top of chickens. It's just now in like a big open uh, enclosure versus all the cages, but they're still like literally on top of each other. And obviously with the pigs, they can turn around, which is amazing, but they still spend their entire lives in, in cages and, and things like this. So um, obviously a massive improvement, but just to, you know, not, I, I don't want people to take away that because of this, like, you know, it's, it's now humane to eat these animals. So yeah, so these laws are the you know strongest laws for farm animals in the world, which yeah. it says a lot that that allowing animals to be able to move does make it the strongest laws for farm animals in the world. This right. is how farm exactly. animals have been raised around the world. Yeah, I will say in the laws we have minimum requirements. So egg laying chickens, as an example, have to have areas to dust bathe perch, scratch, and lay eggs in a nesting area. Uh, and so uh, they're able to, to run around and flap their wings. And, uh, and so their lives are dramatically better. Uh, at the same time, uh, I would never say that it, it, it's 100% humane. It's not utopia, 100% right. cruelty-free by any means. You know, these chickens still aren't uh, able to go outdoors uh, they still are packed too closely together. The, they're still put in flocks that are way too big. That is natural. Chickens should be in flocks of a couple dozen. Uh, but in these industrial operations, it's by the thousands. And so certainly it's a big step forward. Uh, it massively reduces suffering. Uh, at the same time, uh, it's certainly not uh, chicken utopia. Um, similar with mother pigs. You know, with mother pigs, they can't move for four years. Instead, what these laws are doing is ensuring that they're putting groups with other pigs where they're at least they can be with other pigs. Uh, they're able to walk around. They're able to lie down. You know, they can socialize. You know, they don't have to face the same direction for four years. So it is a massive reduction of suffering for these poor animals. Simultaneously, it doesn't mean they're outdoors in mud pits. You know, right. it doesn't mean they're living in a, a farm sanctuary uh, where they're 
treated with the kindness that they deserve as if uh, uh, they are a dog or a cat. Uh, that's not the case. So I think that, you know, we have just to be honest, it's a, it's a massive reduction of suffering. It's a very good thing for the animals who are still being raised in the egg and meat industry, whether we like it or not. Uh, at the same time, uh, even while it's such a great thing, we can be honest that, hey, there's still a lot of issues that go on. And by the way, there are a million reasons why we should be eating more plant-based foods, uh, even beyond animal cruelty, by the way. It goes to climate change issues, goes to our health issues, economic justice issues. The list goes on and on and on. Yeah, so when you interface with someone from these pork companies or a lobbyist or, or, or whatever, I mean, obviously like these, when we're talking about giving an animal the ability to turn around and just have very, very basic uh, things change and they're fighting that. Can you speak to like sort of the, what those people are, are like, obviously they're not evil people and these companies aren't like evil per se. Um, and I know in, in your, your just mission, which I want to talk about in a minute that uh, you mentioned something along those lines that these, these people aren't evil. They just don't see a different path forward for food. Um, so can you touch on kind of just the fact that these people aren't, you know, the evil people we think they are? You know, I feel that the problem is the institution, not individuals. Mm. Uh, after World War II, food, raising animals and food production became industrialized. Uh, and even the 1970s, the pork industry trade publications were instructing pig farmers to stop viewing pigs as animals. In fact, one of the quotes from Hog Management, which I'm sure all of your listeners read every week. Um, <laughs> hog, in hog management, um, the instruction was, forget the pig is an animal. Treat her as if she's a machine. Now, when that gets drilled in your head and you kind of see what's going on in the rural parts of our country, that small family farms are losing out to what is becoming industrialized farms, you start to see how your business is moving. Uh, and I don't feel that the pork industry moved to industrialization because the pork industry wanted to torture animals. I felt that they was just part of the momentum of industrialization. Uh, after the fact, I think what they've done is some justifying um, when the public is starting to really start to ask questions. Uh, and after the fact, they're trying to come up with some excuses about how animals are being raised. And in their view, it's, it's still appropriate to raise animals where they can't turn around their whole life. But at least when I live my life and when I wage the campaigns that we do, I don't view it as me, such a, a golden knight in society, carrying the moral cause versus evil monsters. I view myself as a conduit to try to change systems that harm animals. Uh, and I hold out hope that those who work at these institutions uh, that support these systems and still at this point defend the systems, I hope they change their mind. And many of them have, in fact, many of them have. In fact, uh, two of the largest veal producers uh, in the country have come out publicly calling veal crates archaic 
and doing nothing but cause the animals pain and suffering. Uh, and they moved away from using crates. Now, are they doing things that I personally would do? Of, of course not. But at least they're recognizing that, that these animals shouldn't be in, in crates their entire four-month live, lives after they are ripped away from their mothers. So there's a, a history of, of people kind of seeing the light. And I hold out hope that more people do in the mm. industries. Fortunately, I got to tell you, Pat, the, the good news is that ordinary Americans don't have to see the light. Most people are already there. It, most people are good people. Most people care about animals. Most people don't want animals to suffer. So all we have to do then is help folks have the values they already have just be reflective of what they do. And that's a lot better position to be in than to try to change someone's mind about whether they have compassion and mercy towards animals. Totally. Totally. Well, I would love to shift into uh, just and in, in how all that came about for you, because I, I am a big believer um, now in, in with what, what I'm doing that you mentioned earlier of, of changing people's environment. Um, and aiding them to, you know, make these decisions that we're talking about uh, that are in, in line with, with their, their human values that they have. Um, and I know that is somewhat what you guys are trying to do at Just. So, and, and for people that aren't familiar with Just, you guys, like, I feel like I read another article every day. You guys have raised something like 600 million, I think I last saw. You're definitely one of like the unicorn couple billion dollar valuation companies in the plant-based space right now. So tell us how that started and in, in, in what the mission is behind it. Uh, well, thanks for the kind words. Uh, I remember being uh, in an, an airplane uh, le after I had a meeting with a consumer packaged good company uh, in Minneapolis. And I was so frustrated because I met with them to try to persuade them to switch to cage frags. Uh, now they have, by the way, but back then they refused. And what frustrated me so much is that the people who refused were good people and they agreed with me. There was no debate about the issue. They said, Josh, we agree with you. It is wrong to confine chickens in cages. We don't like that we buy eggs from cage chickens. We just don't know a better path right now. We really don't. And I was sitting in a plane so frustrated because I would have felt better, honestly, if they were bad people saying it. The fact that they were good people who felt disempowered just made me incredibly frustrated. Uh, and, uh, and I got a bit hopeless. At the same time, I, I challenged myself to think, All right, okay, what can I do at least to try to change a food system in a way that corporations are okay with? because they will still make money, they'll still have ingredients, they'll still sell products. Just during that process, we don't have to torture animals. And so I had the idea of, wait a second, you know, so many egg-laying chickens produce eggs for ingredients that no one even knows. Like no one buys a cookie because it has eggs in it. No one buys a muffin or a cupcake or a pancake thinking, gosh, I really hope this has eggs in it. I think Literally zero people do. I will make that statement. I think literally zero people do. And so I thought to myself, what happens if we can just replace those eggs with plant-based ingredients? So I pitched that idea to my dear friend, also named Josh. We uh, grew up together uh, and, and we've been uh, the best of friends for, uh, since, since uh, we were about 14, 15 years old. Uh, he was looking to start a company 
And I was like, hey, Josh, here's a business idea for, for us. How about we try to, to form a company that really takes on ingredients and then perhaps go from there, uh, especially focused on eggs because no one's really doing that yet. Uh, and so that was the start of it. I remember after I pitched Josh, his name is Josh Tetrick, if anybody wants to, to look him up, he's a great guy to watch interviews uh, and, and to learn from, I certainly do. I, I, he's, he's a very quick-witted guy. And I always remember when I pitched him this, he paused. And the fact that he didn't just come back with some witty comment within like a half a second, <laughs> I knew I got him. I knew I got him. Uh, and so we went out and we started it. We, we had initial ideas on focusing his ingredients, but eventually produced things like a scrambled egg uh, and other egg products and, and egg ideas uh, that, of course, didn't come from animals. We raised some money from venture capital firms uh, and high net worth individuals. And, and we got up and started and, and we gave it a shot. Uh, and and it's, it's going pretty well. It really is. Yeah, and, and out of curiosity, you know, I have I have some just egg in, in the freezer. I have the folded folded ones that I enjoy every now and then, which is a, a such an awesome product in terms of convenience. Um, but how did you guys end up finding uh, like mung bean and like how how did you kind of pick some of those early ingredients that you found? That's isn't it random that you? That I had you never can heard of it before. Just egg. I had never heard of mung bean. Exactly. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't <laughs> think I have either. Honestly, you know, in India, everyone knows mung bean. Um, it, but for me, uh, as a as a dumb American, I guess I never even heard of it. But what what happened is that uh, just put together some of the most brilliant scientists that there is to do to use. Uh, different types of machine learning concepts of testing plant proteins and to see what type of proteins, frankly, can scramble like an egg. I mean, it's kind of random, but that randomness is necessary to do so many testing to try to find what bean out there can do the trick. And it so turns out that mung beans, along with a couple other ingredients, can turn... Uh, I think the most ardent egg eater into someone who would taste a product and think, you know what, this tastes darn good. Uh, in fact, uh, this scrambled egg product, so there's two major egg products out there in the market. There's a liquid egg. Also, it's in the egg section. It's the original just egg. It's a liquid form. You pour it on your frying pan and scramble it up just like scrambled eggs. You don't do anything different. You just scramble it up just like scrambled eggs. Um, and there's the, um, the folded product, Pat, that you talked about that's in the freezer section that all you do is put in the toaster and then it's like a, an egg patty and stick on a bagel. You're good to go. Uh, the fact that mung beans can turn into that, I mean, it's magic, but they do. And what's interesting is that the company has done surveys to find out who's buying this. I mean, this, these just egg products are, are just a huge hit across the country. They're in every major grocery store. Uh, in terms of the brand, it is a top five egg brand in the United States. Wow. And, and the question is, who's buying it then? Because <laughs> there's certainly not enough vegans to make something yeah. a top five egg brand. And it turns out more than 90% of the people who buy the Just Egg products are not vegan or vegetarian. 
Mm-hmm. These are everyday folks who are like, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. I've, you know, I, I've heard that I should be eating more plant-based foods or, hey, I know about the climate change impact of animal agriculture. So I want to start trying to do my part or, hey, my cholesterol is a real issue. So I should start eating cholesterol-free foods or, hey, I saw this documentary about uh, chickens in the egg industry confined in tiny cages. I should really start eating breakfast that doesn't involve that type of abuse. For whatever the reason, it's, uh, it's everyday ordinary American meat eaters and egg eaters and dairy eaters and drinkers uh, who are buying the product. And, and so far, uh, the sales are through the roof and you can get it anywhere from Walmart uh, to Target to Kroger to Safeway uh, to Whole Foods to your local co-op. So wherever you are, you, you can find it. Yeah, that's absolutely incredible. So you have egg, you have a mayo, I think, right? In, in Whole Foods, yeah, there's a, there's a mayo in, the whole, in Whole Foods. It's really delicious. called Just Mayo. Yep. And now, uh, and now, as of recently, you guys are venturing into meat with good. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, it's, it's called good meat. That's right. And what it is, it's cultivated meat. Uh, it's, I feel so much hope with cultivated meat. I really do. So... Uh, cultivated, so, so can you, yeah, yeah, explain that for, for people that don't know, yeah. Hey Amen, you got it, you got it. So here's what cultivated meat is. Uh, you know, like when we, when someone would eat meat, the meat is in essence flesh from an animal and the animal was raised, you know, for a chicken, maybe 45 days, for a pig, you know, about six months, for a cow, you know, you know more than a year um, or several years, in fact. But the, but basically what's happening is that all that lifespan, all they're doing is consuming feed to grow and have their cells duplicate to form their body to eventually be killed. What happens if you just take the cells though, and you put the cells in a bioreactor that's filled with the growth promoting medium that is, is just like what happens in our bodies. And instead of having to grow the entire animal, you just grow just the muscle. And we don't have to have any animal who's conscious. We don't have to grow parts of the animals that no one's going to use. We don't, have to, we don't have to spend so much of our feed impact in the world going to animals being raised. It goes right just to cells growing into muscles. What happens if we can do that? Well, it turns out we can. And I got to tell you, this isn't the newest concept either. Winston Churchill talked about this. He talked about the absurdity of having to, to raise an entire chicken just to kill the chicken after the end of his, his life and just to eat you know, part of his muscle. Like that's, he, he called it absurd. And it just so happened that this technology didn't exist when Winston Churchill was around or else he'd be really proud of what's going on. So just happened to be the first company to be able to produce this cultivated meat in a way that got regulatory approval from a government. In fact, the Singapore government working with Just became the first time ever cultivated meat was approved for sale. And then a few months later, Just also became the first company in the history of the world to sell cultivated meat. In fact, for anybody who is listening in Singapore or anyone who's planning to go there, Check out, there's a, a restaurant there uh, that is offering uh, the cultivated meat. It is on their menu. Uh, it, is, it is getting rave reviews. Uh, and it's chicken. It doesn't taste like chicken. It is chicken. You look under a microscope, it's chicken. 
Uh, it just doesn't come with all the bad things associated with it. So just as a leader in that field as well, for me, I believe in order to take on big animal agriculture and the ills uh, of the industry, it's going to be a combination of plant-based foods uh, and certainly in the future cultivated meat and the combination, I think we can win the day. Mm. Yeah. And do you feel like obviously you've been on the front lines uh, at the Humane Society, now you're involved in just, like, do you feel that business really is, is where the most impact is going to come at the end of the day? We kind of know traditionally, right, that it's not so much the humane aspects as to why people change their habits. It's, it's innovation and it's, as I said earlier, kind of changing people, people's habits. Is that kind of what you see? Like you can really ultimately have more impact if you just replace the animal from the food system? I think it does come down to businesses. I think you're right. I don't find it very efficient to try to go to one person at a time uh, to try to persuade them to, to make changes. Uh, I mean, trust me, I do it in my own personal life. Right. Uh, and, and that's one of the ways that my 80 year old dad <laughs> finally went, he went vegan. I'm, I'm, and, uh, and I, I got a side note. He's had the uh, best checkup with his cardiologist he's had in decades, uh, as, as an 80 year old, um, since eating a plant-based diet. Beautiful. Um, however, it, I agree. It is beautiful. I'm so proud of him. Simultaneously, it's just not efficient to try to go one person at a time. There's 320 million Americans. What are we going to do? Every single person we're going to have a conversation with. It's more efficient, as you said, to try to change business. And there's ways to do it. One is to pass laws so businesses can engage in some of the worst practices, frankly. Uh, and with California's law as an example, it prevents businesses from engaging in some of the worst abuses that go on in industrial and agriculture. So that's efficiency. Uh, what's also efficient is the campaigns of wage at the Humane Society of the United States, where major corporations have their purchasing policies change because of us. You know, I gave the McDonald's example. You know, you know another example, and I know you're you're in Boston, like Dunkin' Brands. Uh, you know, Dunkin' Brands announced that they're switching all their eggs to cage-free nationally too, and we're talking about massive change in purchasing because of a business decision, not one buyer at a time in a grocery store in terms of a consumer, a business has made that decision. Right. So yes, big decisions there. Simultaneously to get plant-based foods out there more often, yes, businesses are the key in my mind. It's startups that are producing products that are phenomenally delicious. You know, companies like Impossible uh, and Beyond, uh, new companies like Rebellious uh, that is serving plant-based uh, chicken. Uh, and, and numerous other of these plant-based innovative startups that are making eating plant-based not a sacrifice. It's actually a selfish thing to do because they stay so good. Uh, and so that's what they're doing. That's business. It's also business for the incumbent industries to embrace them, like the grocery stores that already exist that are now promoting these plant-based items. Also, by the way, it's the meat industry that's starting to embrace these plant-based items as well. I mean, virtually every major meat company in the country has a plant-based arm to it now in terms of offering plant-based meats. I find that to be a very good thing. I hope that companies like Tyson shift their business model from torturing animals with their cruelty and inhumane practices to instead offering plant-based um, items that are delicious. And if they do that, I cheer them on. 
I want them to thrive as a major corporation. So I, I think you are spot on. Businesses are the way to go uh, and businesses are moving in, in a better direction. Mm, for sure. Do you, um, for, for the entrepreneurs listening, um, do you have maybe any uh, nuggets of wisdom to share or, or advice? Um, and maybe specifically if somebody's listening that uh, wants to pursue um, a company in the plant-based food space, any advice there as well? Oh, you know what? Just, just give it a shot. Please try. Uh, there's a great line in, in, in a book that I, that I admired a lot. And it was that uh, we know that it will never be enough, but try anyway. Uh, and no matter what anyone does, us individually will never be enough to change everything. But if we all give it a shot, it's going it, to make a difference. It truly will be. So let me say to you all listening who are thinking about being an entrepreneur in the space, go for it. Give it a shot. Listen, you might fail. You, you, you might fall flat on your face. You might not raise any money. You might start your company and then it collapses. There's a thousand bad things that can happen. Trust me, most businesses fail. At the same time, try. Nothing has ever been done that has forever changed the world, that has ever been a transformational moment without risk, ever. There's never been a cautious approach that we, that we all look back to and think that really was the way to go. You, if you look at social justice issues, I mean, in the 1960s, the march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge uh, in, in Alabama to raise issues related to, to voting rights for African-Americans, how risky was that? I mean, these are folks who've gotten beat trying to walk across a bridge peacefully. And that forever changed the civil rights movement. I mean, how many folks, you know, trying to end slavery, you know, you know in the 1800s gave their lives to fight to end slavery? If, talk about risky. My gosh, the people, they gave up their lives for it. When we're talking about starting businesses, here's what I promise you. You are not going to be killed doing it. What I promise you also, you're not going to be treated as if you, know, you are trying to do civil disobedience in the 1960s you know, in a Southern city. So those things are not going to happen to you. So remove that risk. What's the worst thing can happen? You don't, you don't succeed. Considering the upside of what happens if you start a company where you could make a big impact and change the food system and save billions of animals, give it a shot and try. I can tell you on my end, I never judge people poorly who try. I, I admire them. I laud them and I support them. Most entrepreneurs fail at their first business also. So if that is statistically correct, and even look at people like, like Bill Gates, look at people like Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, they have failed in their life. Abraham Lincoln failed more times than anyone can count. If you look at those folks who have failed throughout their life, if statistically it's true that you only will succeed if you fail first, you might as well get the failing out of the way as soon as possible. <laughs> right. so, so let's go for it. Let's give it a try. And you know what? You're going to be surprised how far you can get. Mm, that is beautifully said. And yeah, if you and your, your buddy Josh there did not, you know, I don't know how many years ago, it, it hasn't been very long that you guys decided to take this risk 
And, you know, you're, you're, I'm sure you had all the pressures early on, especially early on of taking money from loved ones and people you really respected and having the pressure of, you know, that and just all the challenges of creating a product that literally nobody has created before. Yet here you are as one of the largest egg producers in, in the country. I mean, that's, that's incredible. And, and it starts with the, the ability and the confidence to take that leap. You got to take a leap. And you're right. With Josh and me, here's our background, by the way. So here's where we are. Let me just say this. Here's what the company is. And then I'm going to reverse to go to the background. The company is the first company to ever produce, get approval, and sell cultivated meat. This is the first company that hits the world to be a top egg producer that is not selling eggs. It's plant-based eggs. This is a company that has evaluation. It is extremely high. This discussion is about it going public. By all intents and purposes, it's a huge success. I, and I, by the way, I give other Josh virtually all the credit. So I'm not, I'm not praising myself. I'm mostly praising him and the wonderful team at the company. Uh, I'm still at the Humane Society of the United States and I'm proud of what I'm doing. And I'm more of a fan than anything else. So that's where the company is. But let's reverse it a little bit. What's Josh, Josh's background of mine? He and I want to be professional athletes. I want to be a baseball player. He <laughs> wanted to be a football player. And I went to school for political science, uh, you know, basically after my baseball career ended. Josh you know, barely got through high school, as, as he would say. His grades were terrible. Uh, and eventually, he went to law school to study law. But we have no background in science. We have no background in food technology. I am a terrible chef. I mean, my <laughs> breakfast is oatmeal and blueberries. Like that's all, I've, and that's the best thing I can make. Uh, if for lunch, I'm making you know, some peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and I'm proud of when I can pull that one off. And I, and I tell you, Josh is even worse than I am. So the fact that, that uh, Josh and I are in this realm as uneducated as it comes, but we figured it out, and it just took a lot of hard work. And when I say hard work, it's a like cliche, oh, work hard. No, I meant like, ravenous, hard, mm. dedicated, intense work, obsession to win. Listen, if we can do, we are the ultimate examples. If we can do it, almost truly anyone can do it. Mm. I love it. I love it. On that front, I have to ask, um, because I certainly, in my life, I also wanted to be a professional football player back in the day. Um, but are there any lessons you, you have taken from sports that you have applied to your life and business. Yes, I, I didn't know that about you. Um, we we got we got to talk we got to talk about that offline. I want to hear these stories. Absolutely, uh, that that'd be fun. Uh, yes, uh, I think for both Josh and myself, what we took from sports is this: uh, we worked very hard to try to be professional athletes. Uh, on Friday nights uh, in high school and Saturday nights, frankly, Josh and I would not be out there. Uh, at parties or, or just having a fun time at friends' houses. We were at the gym working out. Uh, we, every, that was our identity is that we folk were so focused on, on being athletes that we would do anything it took to be successful, which of course <laughs> we weren't. Um, however, that same mentality reigns the same for starting and succeeding a company is doing whatever it takes by any means necessary succeeding. So instead of going to the YMCA 
and doing leg press at 11 p.m. <laughs> Instead, it's on a Saturday night, 11 p.m., still working at the company and still working on the real problems that arise in any startup. Uh, you know, when you're an athlete, uh, as now I know that you know, Pat, like you got to take risks. You know, it, you got to give things a shot. And for us, you know, trying to be professional athletes, it was, it's a, was a risky endeavor and, and we certainly failed at it, but it allowed us to put ourselves in a position to do other things that were risky. Uh, and, and that's part of starting a company. Also, the idea of uh, a competitive nature of sports. Uh, when, and the competition for me, forming the company, and I don't, I don't know if I can speak about from the other Josh, or the other Josh, pardon me, um, is that I just wanted just to win. And for me, it was for the animals. It wasn't even in, in sports, it's us versus the other team. For me, it's, it's almost like a solo act of winning to be successful. But, and, and for me, it's the reason for the animals. And so it was that fierce competitive spirit uh, that helped drive me to succeed. So yeah, I, I took home some, some cues from wanting to be a baseball player and, and, and carried it forward to Justin. And uh, I think other Josh did the same thing too. I love it, man. I love it. I, I could go all day, but um, we're, we're, we're getting high on an hour here. And um... Yeah, man. I, I just want to give you a shout out before we, before we wrap up. Uh, you're an absolute force of nature w with all you do and all the work you've done over the past, you know, 15 years or so. And now, and now just is just, um, it's incredible, man. So you, you really are having a massive, massive impact on kind of both sides um, of, uh, of the coin on the front lines, lines on the animal front, but then also literally changing how America eats. Um, so, uh, just kudos to you, man. Uh, Pat, I, I really appreciate those kind words. That means a whole lot to me. I'm grateful for what you do, uh, spreading the word on these issues, inspiring so many others, uh, to join this pursuit along your side and what you're doing personally too, with your business. Uh, and so at the end, we're all in this together and we're just all doing our part. Uh, and hopefully we can all succeed together too. Amen. Give us real quick, then we'll sign off where uh, people can follow uh, the company, the Humane Society, uh, you personally, if you want. Well, Humane Society, you can go to our website. It's easy, humanesociety.org. How easy is that? Humanesociety.org. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Also super easy. It's just my name, Josh Balk. Uh, and uh, you can see what I'm up to and what the Humane Society of the United States is up to. And, and go to Just's website. It's, it's, it's a unique website. It's ju.st. So just go to, to Just website uh, and check out wh what they're doing at the company. It, it's very inspirational. Uh, and, and the products are delicious too. And whether you are vegan like myself, vegetarian, or you're eating meat, I bet you you're going to enjoy it. So you, you can put my, my test you know, to, to your, your home and see whether uh, when you're in the kitchen, you find it as delicious as I do. Beautiful, man. Thank you again and keep going. You too. Thanks, Pat.